thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. Hey everybody, my name is Tim, I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is March 28th, 2016. I had a home group, it shut down due to lack of participation in home group members, so we're currently looking for new ones. And I have a sponsor, he knows he's my sponsor, and I sponsor other men in the 12 Steps Alcoholics Anonymous. So what I'll try to do tonight, share my experience, strength, and hope, right? It's all I have, it's the only message I got, you know. I think early on I tried to fluff it up and make it sound better than it was, but... You know, I'm kind of through that. Um, so, you know, driving up here, I used to live up this way. So it was kind of interesting. I was, I noticed the billboards this time that said, you know, don't drink and drive. And I thought, man, how many times on 422 did I pass them just lit up, you know, barely being able to see, to drive. And how grateful I am in the holidays here, the season that I'm, I'm sober, man. I feel okay. I don't feel great. I don't feel awesome. I'm not ready to high five everybody. But it's all right. You know, I feel okay. And that's a result of this, man, because I had no shot at any kind of peace prior to coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. I was in my head and not in a very good way. Pretty much my entire existence was always fighting something, you know, inside my head. So this has really done the trick for me. So, you know, I grew up in Honeybrook, PA, not too far from here. And I'll tell you that everything has changed. My story has changed from when I first got in here because I thought my childhood was terrible Parents didn't really, you know, take time to do things with me and pay attention to me. And really what what it was was I had everything I needed, more than I needed, and I just couldn't see it, you know. For me, growing up, I always felt something was off, something was not okay, you know. I heard a guy say one time in a meeting that life was like wearing a wet T-shirt, you know. It fit, it covered everything it was supposed to cover, but it just didn't feel right. And that's kind of what my life was like. Um, I was trying to fit in, you know, I was one of those chameleon people that try to be friends with everybody because I needed the love and attention from people because I just didn't feel okay. You know, I felt like crap all the time. So I needed you to love me. And, you know, I learned in here that, you know, you guys love me till I can love myself. And that's been my experience here. I was just reaching for anything to make me feel okay back in the day. It started at an early age, you know, as a young kid, you know, it was on me. My alcoholism was on me from, I, I, I feel, since birth. I can remember in sixth grade, that feeling I would have many more times before I got here of the world caving in on me, and I just got to cut and run. And I remember just bolting out of the grade school and running down the street, having no idea where I'm going, but I just got to get out of there because it's closing in on me. And that feeling would, would happen a lot through my life, you know. And through that action, there's put me in CAT scans and all kinds of different tests and what's wrong with this kid and I'm seeing therapists, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who's like that, that ego, right, that's trying to look good all the time. And even in sixth grade, I remember like the, the, the therapist or whatever is the counselor, his office is like right in the middle of the hallway, everybody walks and I'm like trying to sneak out of there, right? Like, I don't want to be the, the kid that's got to have help. I don't want to be the, the, the weird kid, you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to fit in hard and 
just that feeling all the time from coming from behind. It always felt like I'm coming from behind, you know, trying to catch up to everyone else. And, you know, I don't know, probably at seventh grade, uh, we switched from like the grade school to the high school complex. And a buddy of mine, he had an older brother that worked in the restaurant business, got us two in there. And then we started the drinking. And I thought I had arrived, man. It was like finally something that just settled the, that crazy talk in my head where I could, like you hear and hear a million times, that's my experience. Alcohol did for me what I could not do for myself. I couldn't be okay. So I started drinking around 14 and it was great. You know, I loved it. Um, at the time, I just thought I was doing what everybody else was doing. Looking back on it, I was probably the guy that, you know, immediately was always more drunk than everybody else. Couldn't handle it, you know, but I couldn't stop. And I couldn't see it then, you know, I just thought I'm having a good time, you know, I'm paying for it with a headache and maybe some throw up, maybe some explanation, but it, I mean, I got to continue to do this because it's the only way I can come out to play, you know, when there's other people around, I'm frozen in fear, you know, prior to coming here, I could never get up here and do this, right? I'd have been so worried about what everybody's thinking of me. I'm going to sound stupid. I'm an idiot. You know, I, I would have been frozen in fear and that all, that, that's what my whole life was like. Booze took that away. It worked for the longest time. <clears throat> there wasn't many repercussions. You know, I drank not successfully. I mean, I definitely had some issues, but no major, no major items, you know, like, uh, no huge car crash, lots of car crashes, but nothing like major, you know, for the alcoholic, a car crash is just like, you know, whatever, you know, how many did you have? Ah, 10. How many did you have at ah, 15? <clears throat> so no major consequences. Um, and I just continued to drink through high school. I, I, I remember there was another point in my life where it felt like, like alcohol had come and it, it settled everything down. I thought I had it figured out, right? I'm in school. Everybody's gone off to college. And my parents are like seeing my track record, like, listen, you're on your own. If you're going to do it, you're going to pay for it. I decide I'm just going to go into construction. I can't handle that responsibility. I don't have any money anyway. So I felt like everybody was leaving me, you know. So now I'm kind of starting over. But I'm a chameleon, right? So I get into the trades. I start working construction. These guys drink. Perfect. You know, they're going to buy me beer. Uh, I fit in well, you know. Uh, and again, I had arrived again. It's like in these different phases of my drinking where, you know, I would feel a little bit out of whack. I'd start drinking, feel good. <clears throat> Did that again for, I don't know, probably five to six years out of high school working uh, carpentry. And then I got a job at an engineering company. And again, like the, you know, anytime that something new came in, I would probably get my shit together for a little bit where I wasn't drinking every day. You know, I'd wait till Thursday or something, you know, and just hammer it through the weekend. So I would have like more of a binge uh, drinking, episode, you know, uh, career at that point. But as time went on, you know, those days of downtime, you know, I just I wasn't making them happen. So that engineering firm turned into an IT job. It's a long story. There's lots of things in there. But I was good at adapting and learning how to do things. Um, and I excelled like just I didn't have any education. I just picked things up and got promotions, you know, before the alcohol completely took over, I, I was able to, to show up and do things. Uh, you know, looking back on it at 100%, absolutely not. You know, I mean, there was a lot left in the tank, you know, because I'd be coming in there, it'll take me a half hour to figure out what I'm doing today. <clears throat> so the next phase of life is everybody's like, you know, we're partying. Like I still have that core group of high school buds, right? But they're all starting to get married and they're having kids. Again, I start feeling left behind, right? Because I'm not married. I'm just out there 
you know, banging around, just getting drunk and, and being single. Um, so a lot of my friends, we'd have parties and stuff. They, I'd be the guy be like, hey, man, you know, you got to tone it down a little bit. We have kids now, right? And they're, they're not able to party like me anymore because they're going to the soccer games on Saturday. So I just start finding other people to hang out with, you know. Other people that drink like I drink <clears throat> make me feel okay. <clears throat> the booze starts getting more and more in my life. I, I meet a girl because at this point I'm like, well, I got to get married. That'll fix me. And I started doing that kind of stuff too where if I get this job, if I get this promotion, you know, if I get a girl, I'll settle down, you know, because I'll want to do right by her. <clears throat> None of which worked, you know. If you have alcoholic, you know, if you're alcoholic like me, you know that. There's nothing I can put in between that other than a spiritual experience in these steps to stop me from, from destroying my life. Um, and that's what happened. So I look at it now, I took a hostage for 13 years, you know, I mean, it was okay for a while, but I never stopped drinking and I kind of just did it on the weekends. I pride myself. I never had booze in the house, but I'd have a fifth behind the seat of the car, you know? So I just go down there to get something to take a big pop and then come back in. And I was maintaining a little bit, you know, I wasn't drinking every day around the clock. And then sometime in probably year, I don't know, maybe 10 of the marriage. I think I was married 13. So probably year 10, like now it's really on me. Like it's the progression's happening to me. Nothing's good enough. She's not. She's like the wet dish towel. Like, dude, like you got to get off my back and let me live my life. You know, meanwhile, I look back now, she was trying to save my life because she was seeing the rails go off, you know, more car accidents, more totals, more you know, not showing up for things or passed out for an entire day or gone for three days. You know, I did that quite a few times. Hey, I'm, I'm going to the beach and just I'm married. Right. And I just pick up and go with a bunch of young guys for a weekend thinking that's perfectly OK. Just checking out, you know, and doing my thing. <clears throat> and then I get into a relationship because at this point now she's the problem. But I don't know how to detach from her. So I got to find it somewhere else. The book, I remember for the first time I read in the book where it talks about maybe he finds it you know, finds comfort in another, you know, I don't know how it's actually worded, but like that. The first time I read, I'm like, holy shit, that's me, right? Totally. I couldn't see it at the time. I just thought this, my wife is just terrible. I meet this girl. She's the fix, right? So her and I start this relationship and I'm living like the after school special, two different lives. I'm spending weekends with her right here. And I'm just, I'm a total piece of crap, you know? These things I said I would never, ever do in my life, you know? I would never do that. I would leave if it got bad, right? And I would do the right thing because I'm a man, you know, and I'll, and I'll stand up for the right things. And, man, alcohol took all that from me. It took, it made the decisions. <clears throat> I got involved in that. That did not end good, obviously. I mean, I don't think she was alcoholic, but she had a lot of isms herself. And I'm full-blown alcoholic. So, you know, they say two dead batteries don't start a car, and we're trying to, we're trying to start one. <clears throat> that ends in a, a calamity. At that point, the drinking is now every day. I can't get through a day at work without, you know, going out to lunch, having a pop. Always had a bottle of vodka under the seat. <clears throat> so that, that, that relationship got destroyed. It all comes to a head. The, uh, the wife finds out because at this point, I'm, I'm like suicidal at this point now because I have done this to my life and I'm, it's almost like sometimes... I'm standing outside of myself looking at the piece of crap I became and I'm saying, how, how did this happen, man? I'm not that bad of a guy, but look at my actions. I'm horrible. And I'm so confused and lost. Can't make any sense out of it. And I'm just like, you know, I, I used to call drinking silence in the demons because I would have to. Like, I'd be at work. It's on me. I'm like 
feeling like I'm going to explode. I've got to go out, get in the truck, head out the driveway to work. And I always say this could have been 95 degrees in the summertime. That bottle of vodka is 95 degrees under the seat. And I'm not even out the driveway caps off and two big pours down the gullet to get that relief, like that two seconds. And, and I say this too, when I first started drinking, it was like it was relief, right? At the end of my drinking, it's 20 seconds of relief, maybe a minute, right? Where I get that relief of the anxiety I have at work. And then I'm driving down the road with the bottle between my legs. And then this thing starts. You piece of shit, you know, what are you doing with your life? Why can't you be honest with anybody? You're ruining her life. You ruined her life. All this stuff on me, taking ownership of it all, just wanting to check out. And right towards the end of my drink, and I didn't quit with this event, but it was one of the events that kind of catalyzed me into here was I loaded a gun, made a suicide note, grabbed a bottle of vodka, and I was going to do the deal because I just couldn't live with my head anymore. I just, I, I didn't know how to stop it, you know. <clears throat> Help all around us and, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is the last house on the block. I heard that in here. That's been my experience. <clears throat> so this, this suicide attempt was, you know, a, a meager whatever. I used to say when I first came in here, ah, it's just a cry for attention. I never really was serious about it. But then I think four more pulls off that bottle, one more pull off that bottle, what happens, right? I woke up in blackouts with things that I've done that I had no idea, right? There was no conscious decision. Alcohol was making it. I was on the edge, right? Could have happened. Didn't, thank God. Um, <clears throat> so that gets found out. Work gives me two weeks off. And I remember the CEO of the company at the time, I'm in IT at this point. He's like, listen, you need help. And I, I looked across the desk and I said, listen, you don't tell me how to live my life. You know what I mean? There's the alcoholic ego, right? Like my, my life is on fire, right? Nobody's around. Wife is leaving. Girlfriend's pissed. Work's giving me time off. And I still have pride, you know, whatever that crazy pride left in me is to say to him, listen, I don't need help. Don't tell me how to run my life. He pulls the trump card. And, you know, it, it hit me when he said, well, you're out of here if you don't go get help. And I'm like, no, I don't have no money. All right, I'll do this thing. So <clears throat> I ended up paying $200 an hour to lie to a therapist. They had made me go to a therapist and, you know, get it signed off on or bring it back. Within session two, the guy says, hey, you should probably look at Alcoholics Anonymous. And I looked at him in my ultimate wisdom, right? This dude's a, got a doctorate. He's, you know, all these plaques on the wall of all the accomplishments he has. And I tell him he doesn't know me. And I don't need Alcoholics Anonymous. That's a joke. I mean, I had, no, I had no idea what this was. I just knew it wasn't for me. Ego and pride, just thinking, if I catch a break, if, you know, if she gets off my back, I'll go in and clean all that crap up at work, and I'll just start, you know, I'll start over, and I'll, and I'll get a handle on this. But my life is sliding into the toilet, right? There, there's no stopping it at this point. I can't really see it, but I'm starting to get the picture. And what made me, at this point... So they gave me two weeks off of work. You know, I'm kicked out of the house uh, with the wife. I'm couch surfing. And uh, that idea that he put in my head, go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, I don't, I don't really remember how it happened because I had no antenna gone. You know, I thought, it, I thought that would be a joke or, you know, that's for weak people. I'll figure this out. I still had that in my head that I thought I could clean this up. <clears throat> And I ended up, ended up at the Malvern Center. It was a 6.30 in the morning meeting. I was driving around. It's probably 4 in the morning because I can't sleep. I'm trying not to drink or at least drink as much on my own, trying to regulate, and it's not going well. So I pull in there, probably blowing a 3.0. <clears throat> I was in a rental car because I had totaled my truck. It, it was completely gone. So I'm in this rental car, and I'm sitting in that meeting, and, and probably one of the, the 
the greatest things that happened to me was in that first meeting where I always say this when I try to go speak, I try to, to keep it to the solution. This is a speaker meeting, so I'm giving background. But had that guy not been talking about his experience and what he had gone through that I could tap into and relate to, I was out of there. I was just going to check a box, you know. This is a joke, but let me try it. They said, I got nothing better going on. And the guy was talking the solution, right? He was talking about his experience of what happened to him, and his life was on fire, and he's starting to feel better. And an ounce, just a little crack in the door of hope, like, huh, this guy's talking about stuff that I never was able to talk to anybody else about openly, right? It's all in my head, but I can't say that to you because you're going to think I'm weak or, or, or a jerk. Like, you know, I can't. I can't relate it out, right? The only time it ever came out is when we was drinking with buddies and I'm all drunk and I'm crying in my beer type stuff. And they're just like, dude, shut up. You know, they can't relate, right? You guys can, they can't. They don't have what I have. I'm sitting in that meeting and uh, somebody announces, like, I'm trying to just meld in the back. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make any eye contact trying to fly under the radar. And someone says, there's a a Ford Escort with the lights on out in the parking lot. I'm like, I think the rental car is a Ford Escort, man. I hope that's not mine, right? Just so then, so finally, I look out and it's like it's mine. So I go to get up and this guy puts his hand on my shoulder. <clears throat> Sometimes I get emotional on this because he must save my life, you know. <clears throat> he said, "Dude." Just sit here. I'll go get it, man. Enjoy the meeting. This is a good speaker up here, man. Listen to this guy. <clears throat> I was too embarrassed. I would have never let that happen before, but I was too embarrassed, and I was, like, frozen in fear. I just let him do it. And I heard the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, enough to get me back there the next meeting, you know, to, to start coming, right? And, and I always think sometimes I get emotional on that because it's like I was this close to leaving. I'm out in that car. I know what I do. I'm leaving. I'm not coming back in there and showing face like – because I'm, I'm so self-conscious and so feared up of how I look and how I'm going to present. And I don't want to be the center of attention, yet I do want all the attention. Alcoholism is such an effed up thing. <clears throat> so I end up staying, and then <clears throat> I just start coming to meetings. And I always say my, my experience in recovery has been like little breadcrumbs, right? Like there was a – somebody would say – because I can't hear. My, my head is chewing me apart. I'm sitting in a meeting, and I'm judging people. I'm looking around. That guy shared the same thing last week. He sucks. You know, this speaker's terrible. Like, I'm just judging the shit out of stuff because I can't stop my head because I have no solution. I'm just coming to meetings. And I would get a tidbit here. I'd hear somebody say something like, huh, that, that makes a lot of sense. I got a sponsor by name only at first. So I was sponsoring myself for like the first six months, you know, which I heard a person, this, this, this lady I know has got like 40 years. She always shares, you know, if you're sponsoring yourself, just know that your sponsor's an asshole. <laughs> and I heard that, you know, I was like, you know. <clears throat> so I was just coming to meetings. I was getting little tidbits here, sponsored by name only. I wasn't doing any work. And about the six-month mark of my recovery, like I had done all the bowling and the diners and everybody hanging out and calling everybody and, you know, hanging as a, as a group, like a lot of the people – at the 6.30 meeting I went to, there was a lot of newcomers, right? So we had like a, a pool of like my class of alcoholics. Like we all came in around the same time. So everybody was hanging out and doing stuff and that was fun. But I can't outrun my alcoholism, man, because at a certain point, I'm like all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but incrementally, it, it, it's to the point where I'm, I'm standing there and I'm like, man, 
this sucks. The only thing, I just don't drink now, right? The euphoria of quitting the drinking and physically feeling better only lasts so far for me. Once it becomes normal that I just feel okay when I wake up in the morning, I go to a meeting, I got this routine, but I'm not changing, you know? And my untreated alcoholism started eating my lunch again, and at the six-month point, I'm debating whether to load that gun up again. Like, I'm, it's on me again. It's chewing me apart. Now I'm trying to, like, do the, the, the two-step dance in here of just come to the meetings, try to look okay, you know? Look good and just, you know, it'll, it'll come to me. Like, if some epiphany is going to happen if I don't do any of the work that someday just by time spent here without a drink, I'm going to feel okay. And that was not my case. <clears throat> and I remember, you know, I don't know exact times, but in that time frame, that six-month point, I thought to myself, what do I have to lose, man? I feel like crap every day. Like, I do not want to be here. I hate my job. I hate everybody. I'm not, I'm not like, making the turn here. I see these other people that look okay, Right. There was this guy, this guy, Jack, I always remember he'd sit there and he put his head back 630 in the morning with a smile on his face for the whole meeting. And then he would go out, get in his truck and go clean out septic systems. And I just thought, man, this guy's happier than anybody I've ever seen in my life every day. Something's happening with this guy that I got to get on board with. So what do I have to lose? Feeling like shit every day. <clears throat> so I start pursuing different sponsorship um, and I get a guy who was big into service. Right. And I'm kind of going to talk about the three legs as I go through this, because first was just the fellowship that worked for a while for me. And then this next guy was a little bit of fellowship and service. He was big on service. We were like the moving crew for my 630 wake up. I had a pickup truck. And I mean, it seemed like every weekend we were moving somebody, doing this, doing that. And it kept me you know, accountable and it was good. That's two legs of it. But what about the recovery portion? Right. Like I'm still just kind of dancing around. He had a different way of going through the steps out of the book. It was like, write a lot about yourself. And I can do that, man. You know, I can write a novel about myself, but what's really happened, I'm just talking in circles of sharing all the problems and all the crap and all the, you know, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do anything in here. Everything I learned on how to recover and feel okay has come from here, from you guys, from sponsorship, from speaker tapes, from service commitments, right? Like I didn't know anything on how to be okay. So that lasted for a while and about, so I'm feeling pretty good in that service stint and I lasted for a while, up to about five years, I'm sponsoring guys, I'm the GSR, you know, I'm lit up in AA and then as my sponsees get through the steps, I'm like, well, I'm not really looking at anybody new and then I'm telling myself, I have a girlfriend now and I'm telling myself, you know, I got to go take this on the road and hang out with normal people more because now I'm starting to judge again. I don't see it happening, Right. But now I think I know more than everybody sitting in the room on AA. And I think I, you know, I know how to recover on what everybody's doing wrong. And I'm judging the shit out of everybody again. And I can't even see it because I'm just slowly slipping away again, getting away from what, what got me sober, right? And it's amazing how regenerative that the alcoholic ego is. When I come in here, I'm surrendered by the bottle and I'm so low that I got no place to go but up. So anything in here, fellowship, anything is going to be okay for a while to keep me coming. But then as I get, you know, past that point, it's just kind of being like routine. The, the ego starts up again, man. So now it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'll hang out and I'll, go, I'll still come to my home group. But I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to go out and hang out with normal people a little bit more. <clears throat> Five years sober, a drink looked good one day. Out of nowhere, I heard this guy Sandy Beach say, you know, when you're 
when you're in a meeting, there's little, little bottles of vodka in the bushes outside just jumping up and down, ready to jump up and say, here I am. You know, I didn't have a plan, but looking back on it, totally, I mean, you, you couldn't have scripted it any better on how to drink again the way I did it. So five years, I had to turn in my coins and start over again. <clears throat> At that point, now I've got the two legs that I've worked, and that didn't work. So what, what's missing from this? I get a sponsor who I had spent time with, and this guy's like Captain AA. He's all in. I always thought myself, he's too in. He's, he does too much in AA. He has no life. Like, it's his, everything's AA. Like, you know, I didn't get sober to just do AA. <clears throat> but I couldn't see it because I'm judging. And, and again, I never had any freedom from me, really, to know how, why he does it. <clears throat> so eventually, I asked him to be my sponsor. And I'll never forget this. I was talking to him, and I said, listen, I, said, I didn't forget everything I learned in five years. He said, you got 34 days. Just stopped me dead in my tracks, just broke the ego right away from me and said, we're starting over. We're going to step one. Something was missed, and we're going to start working. And then he introduced me into the program and the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous <clears throat> and those sacrifices of service and doing things more and you know, and I had one of the things I had to let go of was how I looked, right? Like I was so worried about how I presented and wanted everybody. I still needed that acceptance to the point where I, I, you know, I was too keyed on it. And he would say to me, the further you go in service, the more that you say the right things at a meeting, a business meeting at your home group, the less popular you're going to become. And I didn't like that, you know, but he was he was right, you know. It's not about going in there and blowing everything up and act like you know everything. But when there's something that's happening in AA and you see it and you know better, sometimes it's, you're not going to be the popular guy in the business meeting when you're bringing up, hey, you know, that's kind of a fourth tradition issue there. You know, we're starting up another meeting and there's one right down the street at the same time. And everybody's like, ah, F you, you know, and nobody goes to that meeting anyway. It's like, you know, and I had to get over that. <clears throat> so he introduced me to the recovery portion um, and I'm grateful for him. You know, I used to think he did way too much in AA and now, you know, I don't do as much as he does, but I, I do a lot more than I ever thought I would. I got involved in the service piece. I was a GSR, then an ADCM, then DCM. And I've, I've served on the area subcommittee for CPC. So I got into service and did a lot of stuff that I didn't feel like doing, you know, cause he would tell me, what's your next service commitment? <clears throat> you know? And I'd be like, yeah, he's like, well, why don't you stand for DCM? And I'm like, I don't know if I have time for that. He's like, you don't, ha you don't have time not to do that. You know? And he would convince me because he would, he would just remind me, well, what happened last time when you decided you were okay? <clears throat> so he keeps my feet to the fire. Um, we do a, you know, a lot of uh, conferences together, and he kind of showed me the ropes for service, and that's been a blessing. <clears throat> it's really cool for me on my journey to learn more about how AA works. You know, I'm kind of interested in that. Like, how does this thing work? And going through the process, not that, you know, to, to act like I know more than other, it's just interesting to me to see how's this thing that's saving my life? How does, it, how does it stay? How does it work? How do we get the things done that we get done in here? And then the more you learn about it, it you know, for me anyway, it's been great, you know, to kind of solidify. And also through the service spot of learning more on how it functions and what to do and what not to do, it's constantly bubbling up things that I'm doing wrong in my life, not just in here, everywhere. You know, those traditions, you know, going through a traditions checklist. When I got through the steps, I thought, hey, I'm pretty cleaned up now. I'm doing pretty good. And the first time we sat down with the traditions checklist, I'm like, 
while I'm doing that, you know, you had a fourth tradition checklist. Are you talking about other groups? Not eh, just to my buddies, you know, not that much, you know, but then you're, you know, you know, you're, are you talking about other people's recovery, you know, and what they're not doing? Well, not that all, just to people I know, you know. So, like, I start seeing I'm still that sick guy, just the better than the better version of what I used to be. So, there's always work to be done. So, service and learning traditions and concepts, and that's helped out a lot. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so, this, this go around, I'm, I'm back at like six years now. Um, I'm just rotating off the panel out of the, out of the service commitment for the area. And now I'm moving on to, there's something called NARASA. It's a big service assembly in the Northeast. And I got asked to be on the subcommittee to outreach, to, to contact other areas and try to drum up business. We're hosting it in 2024 in Hershey here. So <clears throat> there's work to be done. And at first I'm like, first thought wrong, right? I heard that in here, first thought wrong. My first thought is I'm just rotating out. This has been a pain in the ass really, this DCM stuff. like. Loved it, but like I'm done. Like I need to get my life back. I just started a new business. It's kind of floundering. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I need to spend more time with me and then I'll just come back to that spiritual sickness I have of, you know, I get too much of me on me again and I'll start thinking like that. And the next thing you know, I'll be drinking again. So, <clears throat> so I'm grateful for the service in here and always having something to do like i kind of wanted to just be a greeter or a coffee maker at a new home group but uh hopefully i'll find a new home group soon and i can get involved that i don't want to be chairing home groups i just want a, a little bit of a break um but AA has done for me what i couldn't do for myself and everything you know i never had a shot at any kind of peace of mind my life was always in some kind of turbulence up here i lived everything up here nothing through here you know Nothing translated from the head to the heart. It was all the head. It was always, you know, what am I doing wrong? What, am I, what do I don't have? What, what's someone not doing for me? So much of me on me. And the steps in AA and you people are the only thing that can keep me off of me. Because I slide back in. I've already seen it. Like, <clears throat> I was listening to a speaker recently talking about the surrender, you know. And I believe that in here... For me, my experience, there's there's two surrenders, right? I'm surrendered by the bottom when I come in here. I talked about that. I'm so beat up that I got no place to go. So anything you guys are suggesting, I'm willing to do. And then I start feeling better and I see progress right away. But then the second surrender is the ego that I have, right? That I know better and I don't need to do this and I don't need to do that. And, you know, that sponsor, he's too into AA. He does too much service. I'm going to steer clear of him. That's the second surrender is my ego. And I used to think it was just two, right? I would get through the steps, surrender the second time of, of me trying to drive the ship. I once heard a guy at a meeting, I love this one too. He said, you're like the kid in the back seat with the plastic steering wheel thinking you're driving the car, you know? And that's been my experience. When I take control and try to drive again, nothing turns out the way it's supposed to. I'm never satisfied. I'm like, well, that sucks. And, you know, every, it, the, the ego and the, and the judgment and opinion starts coming back. But the more that I work on that spiritual piece through, you know, 10, 11, and 12, trying to keep in those, the more I get outside of myself, the, the better off I am and things become peaceful again. And like I said, I thought there was only two surrenders, but I'm in, I'm in another one now, right? Like I'm fighting service again. Uh, my spiritual peace is not where it should be. I'm kind of like throwing them up there in the morning, right? There's something called conscious contact is not just getting on my knees and saying, please, God, help me through this day. Thanks for everything I got. 
and then leave. And then immediately I'm thinking about, I got to be here. I got to be there. Shit, I got to meet that guy. He's a pain. You know, the head starts right, right away. Um, so I'm in the process of trying to get reins on it again, where I'm, I'm going back to task of, you know, spending the time in the morning to, con to, to have conscious contact with my higher power and get out of me. You know, I heard a speaker say one time, and I like this one too, the reason it says upon awakening in the 11th step is because you can destroy your life on the time it takes to get out of the bed to the bathroom with the decisions you're making in the morning. And I thought, yeah, he's not wrong there because like I'll start having conversations with myself about my day and about everybody in it and about how they're not, you know, working up to my standards. And I'll, I'll catch myself sometimes in the morning just being like, are you kidding me? Like, you're really having this conversation with yourself. Are you recovered or not? You know? So, um, I'm, I'm in that again, right? It's like it ebbs and flows. And the more time I put into the spiritual end of things where I follow the directions you people have told me, it's right in the book, man. I have guys say, how do you meditate? I'm like, look at the 12 and 12. It has the St. Francis prayer right there. It tells you how to do it. It tells you in the big book how to do it, right? It doesn't look like I thought it looked like, but there's so many things in life, in AA, in, in everywhere, that don't look like I thought they looked anymore, right? Like, I thought I knew a lot. I don't know shit. I come in here and I realize, I heard a guy say this too, everything, everything I'm quoting up here saying has come from someone else for sure. But I heard a guy say one time, I came in here to forget everything I thought I knew for sure. And I came through the doors thinking I was coming here to learn how to control my drinking. It was unlearning everything I thought I knew. Um, and that's been the key, you know, the more I just let go, heard that too from a speaker, love that two words to sum up the entire AA program, let go. And me saying that right now, it, it helps it. I feel a little rusty. I haven't been up in front of people in a long time. So these things are coming out that I know that are ingrained in me that I'm not practicing right now. Like let go. I mean, I'm holding on tight to some stuff right now, man. You know, it's not going to get any better until I accept it as it is and just move forward. You know, all that comes from here. All that comes from the steps. <clears throat> but life is so much better. Like I said, fear has kind of rolled out. You know, little the gray, the gray clouds rolling a little bit. That's what I'm having this holiday season. Um, just people are wanting me to be places and they're putting schedules together. And I'm like, Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, I just want, <laughs> I want me, you know, to just, I want to chill. I want to take some time off. <clears throat> but that's all that unspiritual fit like it's uh, untreated alcoholism is what it is it starts coming in where i think i need to have say and you need to you need to know what i'm thinking and feeling right it's just you know it's just that constant push and pull ebb and flow for me but i know that when i surrender my ego and accept what i've been taught here get on my knees pray try to make conscious contact pick the phone up when i'm in my head at work and call that new guy who's got two days and say, how are you doing today? It immediately knocks me out of me, right? I think the book talks about that. Nothing, there's nothing that helps in certain situations except working with, working with an alcoholic. That's been my experience, you know. <clears throat> when Mike, there's, I can't tell you how many times a guy's called me and I'm, I'm just pissed off, you know. I, my day's not gone good. All this me, 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 a guy calls me, he's in a way, he's new immediately my day 180 degrees different because it, it reminds me what I'm here to do. What is my purpose? My purpose is not me anymore, you know? And, so, and it's so easy that it shifts back into me, 
where I become primary. You know, I'm working with new guys. I always say, listen, God first, them second, you third. You know, that's the order I have to keep it in. You know, when I start putting me first, it happens without me even knowing it because I'll, I'll get away from the program, what I'm supposed to be doing. The next thing you know, that's when I have those conversations in my head and I'm, there's too much of me on me again. I'm thinking about how it affects me, what, what I need to get out of this relationship or this work, this job versus what can I bring to the plate today, do the best of my ability and let go, let it happen. When, that, when that's executing, because I've been in those phases, right, ebbs and flows. When I'm solid in the program and I'm doing all those things, my life, it's not, I always say, like, it's nothing like I thought it would be, but I never knew what, what it could be, right? I never knew it could just be okay. Like, I was never just okay, ever. Like, now I'm, like, there's those days where you're just okay. You're sitting there like, everything's okay. It's not awesome. Like, I'm not making all kinds of money. I'm in a one-bedroom apartment. used to have a place, you know, all this stuff. Now I'm in a small place. I got m not much, but I'll be sitting there like, man, it doesn't get much better than this. I'm feeling pretty good today, you know? And all that's because I'm letting go and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do here. And it's not about the money or the stuff or the things. Um, it's just about having some peace of mind that I never thought I could attain ever because I never had it. You know, I would said that I would careen off okay like a bowling ball on plate steel, you know, just skip right off it like a rock on a lake skipping across it, man. I never even touched it. I touched it, but very, because if I'm just okay, I need to amplify it. I need to feel euphoria, drink, you know, some other stuff maybe. Um, if I'm feeling low, got to drown it, you know, can't ever just deal with what I'm dealing with. Um, and now like with the recovery and doing the deal, those low times, I mean, they're, they're, they're here, but they're not bad. Like I'm navigating them and I'm calling and I'm getting honest with my sponsor and my boys that are my core group saying, you know, hey, guess what I was thinking about this morning? And my buddy will laugh and be like, dude, you know, you need to stop and think about this. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So it's that constant working with others and realizing I came in here thinking I didn't need any help, <clears throat> that I could figure everything out because I had, I had had this career in life that was built with these two hands and, and my work ethic and my tenacity full of myself, right, thinking I did all this. I had no formal education, but I got to the station of life. I'm making a lot of money at this big engineering company. And, you know, <clears throat> and then to come in here and realize, man, none of that had any meaning and it has nothing to do with me. And if I just let go and let it happen, everything's all right. And it's just, it's, it's something I never, ever thought I could attain. You know, I thought for the rest of my life that I'd be fighting off. I, I came in here thinking, if I get to the point where I don't want to kill myself every day, it's a win. That's what I was thinking coming through the door because I was so, so just checked out of life and just feeling like such a piece of crap that if I could just not want to jump off a bridge every day, win. I'll just go through. It'll be, you know, doldrums, you know. It'll be a little bit uh, depressing. And that's not the case. If I do the work in here, if I follow the book and do the program, and do everything I'm supposed to do, I'm okay. And that is the gift that, you know, I can't ever repay other than just, you know, shipping it back down the line, sponsoring guys, trying to, to stay to task. Um, and calling myself out of my crap, you know. A bunch of guys uh, I'm talking with right now, there's a, there's a thing, it's not AA, I shouldn't really even be talking about from the podium, but it's called Steel on Steel. It's a deep dive into all the crap you're doing that you shouldn't be doing, right? The stuff you're not going to share at a meeting, you know, like, well, you can just imagine, 
but it's like a checklist where you're getting honest with a, a group of guys and then you're giving each other advice. You're coming back the next week. How'd you make out this week? You were doing that last week, dude. It's just another level of getting honest and getting out the stuff, the pestilence inside me. I got to get it out. So, you know, so I'm accountable because when I sweep stuff under the carpet, it just grows and grows and grows. And the next thing you know, I'm robbing stuff, you know, I'm stealing, I'm whatever. Um, but all that, uh, I don't have to worry about that so long as I stick to task in here and continue to do what I do. I don't know, man. This is a great holiday season. I'm, I'm blessed to be in recovery. I'm blessed to be talking with you people tonight. Um, it's good to, to drive up the old stomping grounds, and maybe I'll ride down one of these back roads and see if I find any vodka bottles I threw out 10 years ago and clean them up and do my good Samaritan job. Um, but uh, I'm grateful to be here, grateful to be sober, man. And this is the best show on earth. You know, my sponsor always says that the home run in AA is peace of mind. You know, I was always looking for success business-wise, girl-wise, all this stuff-wise. But the greatest gift that I've ever got in here is peace of mind. Ain't all the time, but it's a hell of a lot more than it ever was. Uh, and my mind doesn't chew me up and chew me apart anymore, you know. I'm able to kind of to go through life and, and make the adjustments and, and try to do some good and help someone else. And I think that's all I got, man. Thanks so much, people, and Merry Christmas. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. You can also find a link for this in the description below. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.